So today we mark the third Sunday of Advent in the Advent season, and we've reached the halfway point of December, which means that there are only 10 days left before Christmas. Not much time, right? Not much time to prepare. Even if you spent your prime Thanksgiving hours at the Black Friday sales, or strained your wrists and fingers, searching and waiting for the best Cyber Monday deals, or maybe perhaps you've taken a break from all the shopping crazies and did the world some good on Giving Tuesday, there never seems to be enough time to prepare ourselves appropriately for what the Christian world might consider the top one or two days in the yearly calendar that we celebrate, the birth of our Savior. And yet, every year we do it to ourselves, don't we? We sweep and we clean and we shop and we wrap and we stamp and we lick and we bake and we eat in preparation and anticipation of one of the most holy of days. And for what? To quote that famous theologian, Charlie Brown, can't anyone tell me what Christmas is really all about? Well, to quote another famous theologian, Linus Van Pelt, Surely, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. But in order to do that, we must go back, way back. Not just to the days of St. Nicholas of Myra, a.k.a. Santa Claus, or the days of Constantine, the emperor who first celebrated Christmas on December 25th, but to the actual birth of the Savior in a tiny little town just six short miles south of Jerusalem. But even before that silent night, holy night, occurred, we have to go back further still, to the year before the birth of Christ. Even before the conception of Christ, and talk about the other family, the other miraculous birth. You see, the birth of Christ doesn't just involve the holy family and the Christ child. There are other players in this eternal drama who play an equally important role. In fact, Jesus himself would say that among those born of women, no one is greater than this person. And that person is, of course, John the Baptist. Or, if you remember from an earlier sermon, more correctly translated John the Baptizer, um, or could even be translated John the Dunker. That's what baptism means. It means to immerse or to dunk. It also involves the other holy parents. John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Yeah, John the Baptist plays an important role in the birth of Christ. Although too often his story is overlooked, glossed over in a sea of details about mangers and shepherds and the correct number of wise men. Were there really three? John's story is important because it's our story. It's the story of ordinary men and women going about their lives in the ancient Near East. It's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple who suffered the indignity of being childless in a society where not being able to have children was considered a shame. Remember Sarah and Abraham from Genesis. But then their lives are interrupted by the angel Gabriel. We didn't read that portion of scripture this morning, but their story begins at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20. 
let me give, give you a little bit of their backstory. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, as Gabriel told uh, Mary, the angel Gabriel told Mary. And first the angel appeared to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who was a priest and whose turn it was to burn incense in the temple at the time. Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the holy place while he was burning incense to tell him that even though he and his wife were of advanced age, they would bear a son and name him John. When Zechariah doubted Gabriel's prophecy, Gabriel struck him mute so that he could not speak. And he stayed that way until after John's birth. After Zechariah finished his duties in the temple, he went home to the hill country of Judea to be with his wife, Elizabeth. On our trip to Israel last month, uh, we got to visit the hill country where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. And here is a picture. It's actually quite a beautiful and lush area with pine trees and rolling hills. And Elizabeth became pregnant and she secluded herself for five months. Perhaps she didn't want to get her hopes up too much. Perhaps she wanted to keep the secret to herself until her baby bump began to show. And as John was growing in her belly, Elizabeth was visited by Mary who was also told she would bear a son and name him Jesus. The two of them would share in this marvelous secret together. Then came the joyous occasion of the birth of John. Let's read this portion together. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. Let's read it together. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would be like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand? Every birth is a, is a joyous birth. But can you imagine what was going through the hearts and minds of Elizabeth and Zechariah? I'm sure you can relate to waiting for a long time for something to happen. Praying and praying, perhaps you've given up all hope. Maybe a job or a relationship or a healing for a disease or maybe a child to be born or maybe even a church building. Perhaps you're still waiting, or perhaps your waiting has been answered in a way that only God can answer, and the result is joy, pure joy. But this wasn't just a joyous birth. This was a purpose-filled birth. This was a purpose-filled birth. Now, what were the purposes that were fulfilled in this birth? 
First, it answered the prayers of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who probably were praying for a child for a long time, let alone a son. It fulfilled the prophecies of the angel Gabriel, who was revealing God's purposes for John. It also filled the neighbors with a sense of awe and wonder over the child and what he would become. When each of us is born, we're born with a purpose, a unique God-given reason for being. And while our births may not be as dramatic as John's, God does have a purpose for our lives. But I'm also sure that there was a measure of fulfillment for Elizabeth, don't you think? It is perhaps a little old-fashioned to think that a woman's purpose is to bear children, but there is a bit of truth in that, isn't there? For those of you who are moms, has there been some sense of fulfillment as you gave birth to your kids, and then as you've seen them grow and mature, and for some of you, you've seen them to grow up to become individuals? their own people. For all of us, have we asked God, what is his purpose for our life? And how can we fulfill it? Well, the birth of John results in another miracle. Zechariah gets to speak again. Actually, it's another answered prophecy because Zechariah was told he would remain mute until John's birth had come to pass. The neighbors didn't believe Elizabeth when she told them they would name him John. No one in your family has that name. Shouldn't he be Zachariah Jr.? But Zachariah, his faith fully restored in the birth of his son, asked for a writing tablet. Scripture doesn't tell us whether it was an iPad or a Samsung. <laughs> but he wrote confidently, his name is John. Not he will be called John or we will name him John, but simply his name is John. And immediately, Zachariah's mouth was opened up and he began praising God. And oh, what a praise it was. Here's a picture of Zachariah's song on a tile mural on the outside wall of a church built over the place where John the Baptist was born in the hill country of Judea. At least, that's what they say it was. <laughs> we read this portion of scripture earlier. It was a purpose-filled prophecy. It was a purpose-filled prophecy. Zechariah's song gave us a perfect picture of the blessings that were to come. They are the blessings that would come through a person. God has come. He has come to redeem his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation from the house of David. Salvation from their enemies and all those who hate them. To show mercy to their ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. To rescue them from the hand of the enemy. To enable them to serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness. Who is Zechariah prophesying about here? Elizabeth, Mary, and yes, old Zechariah have been led in on the mystery that was about to be revealed. The mystery that is growing in Mary's womb, that the Messiah is about to be born. 
What was promised from long ago was about to come to fruition, and they were all about to be front row eyewitnesses to the greatest event of history, the birth of Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, God, very God, coming in the flesh, fully God and yet fully man. This was the mother of all prophecies, filled with all the purposes God had purposed from the very beginning of creation. I wonder if Zechariah and Elizabeth and the neighbors understood the enormity of what they were witnesses to. Not only John's birth, but their connection to the Messiah. I wonder if they understood that this was not just for their tiny little country and to this specific time in history, but that this event would reverberate throughout all of mankind for all of time. This was just the beginning of a kingdom that would have no end and about a king who would reign into eternity. Today, you and I are reaping the benefits of this prophecy come true. And if there's anything worthwhile that we can do in this lifetime with the few short breaths of air that God grants us in this time, it is to share with everyone that we know about this miracle of human redemption this gift of grace that we have through the birth and death of the God incarnate, the God who became flesh like every one of us, who walked and breathed and ate and died just like every one of us, but who overcame death so that we might live. If there's anything to celebrate this Christmas, I hope this is what we celebrate. But Zechariah's song doesn't end there. After all, he is now the proud papa of a bouncing baby boy. He is not only filled with pride and joy, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is filled with God's prophetic utterances for all the world to hear. Baby John is truly a purpose-filled prophet. He is truly a purpose-filled prophet. John's life purposes are clear. From his father's prophecy, we learn that he will be called prophet of the Most High. That he will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. He will give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. He will guide their feet into the path of peace. Zechariah is not only a proud papa and prophet, he is also a righteous priest, bringing the needs of his people to God. I can only imagine what kind of parents Liz and Zach would be. Being older, of course, they would have a harder time during, their toddler, during his toddler years, especially John, being, John the Baptist being so unique. He had a special diet, could only eat locusts and honey. Um, he was not to take, never to take any wine or fermented drink. He was to fit, be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. In his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He might have been harder to handle than Jesus as a baby. Can you imagine? But what an amazing experience it would be 
to have a hand in raising a son who would play such an integral part in history. Imagine the sense of fulfillment of a life purpose that that would bring. Verse 80 says that the child grew and became strong in spirit. He lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. When we visited Qumran last month, we saw a presentation that proposed that John the Baptist may have been part of the Qumran community, which is where he learned the practice of ritual baptism for the ceremony of, and cleansing of sin in a sect called the Essenes. John the Baptist may have been part of the community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Here's a picture of the sea, of the, of the area called Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls let me tell you, it is a dry and hot and arid land. It's everything you imagine the Holy Land to be and then some. The Essenes lived there in order to purify themselves from the crowded, busy, noisy life in the big city like Jerusalem. And having walked through the streets of the old city of Jerusalem and having rubbed elbows with tourists from all around the world, I can't blame them for wanting to get away from them. Now let's fast forward a little bit to John as a grown-up. Like I said, we, we covered some of this ground when we began our sermon series in the Gospel of John. But I'd like us to go to chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Here we will see John living his best life. He is truly demonstrating a life purpose fulfilled. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. Let me read this for you, and you follow along. After this, John and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them, and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can only receive, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and now is complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Here's a picture of Anon near Salim where John baptized Jesus John the Baptist was an interesting character. Scripture said he wore a camel hair cloak with a leather belt, that he ate locusts and honey, that he went around preaching, prepare ye the way of the Lord, and baptizing for the repentance of sin. And when he finally came face to face with his distant cousin Jesus, and Jesus asked John to baptize him, 
his reply that he was the one who should be asking for baptism from Jesus. He was indeed all those, all those things the angel Gabriel had told his father Zechariah he would become. And when John was facing death because of his outspoken criticism of Herod Antipas for his moral corruption, John sent word to Jesus asking if he was the coming Messiah. And Jesus responded, Tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now this phrase that Jesus said, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, is a direct quotation from Isaiah. And it's a messianic prophecy. This is a, a prophecy that foretold of the coming of the Messiah. And these would be the signs that this was indeed the true Messiah. But in most of the rabbinic translations of Isaiah, they don't include that last phrase that Jesus quoted. He said and added, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now we found out that that phrase, that last phrase, actually was included in the book of Isaiah from the translation that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls as part of the community of the Essenes. So if John were part of that community, he would have recognized that phrase immediately. Jesus was in essence using coded language that John could recognize as messianic prophecy that would give comfort and assurance to John that indeed Jesus was the Messiah promised so long ago, born in a manger in Bethlehem. John's life purpose had come to an end, but he could be assured that he had fulfilled his life purpose by pointing people to Jesus. His life purpose could be summed up in, a, in verse 30 of John chapter 3. He must become greater. I must become less. Now let me ask you the question again. Have you ever wondered what your life purpose is? Have you ever inquired of God, what on earth are you here for? Could you, like John, at the end of your time on earth, be able to say, I have fulfilled my life purpose? Could you, like Paul, say, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race to the best of my ability. <clears throat> the lives of these three ordinary people intersected in history to become part of the greatest story ever told. These three people from the hill country of Judea were choos chosen to point the way for all of humanity to a very special baby that would soon be born. Their purpose was simply this, as John simply and eloquently put it, point the way to Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He must increase, and I must decrease.
That's our purpose this Christmas season and every day of our lives. We must help to prepare the way of the Lord into the hearts and minds of all who don't yet know the sacrificial, gracious gift of salvation and mercy that we receive through the blood of Christ shed. Jesus Christ, our living hope. In the 10 days that we have left before December 25th, and in the days after Christmas, when all the wrapping has been recycled, when the dried up Christmas tree has been kicked to the curb, when the lights have been taken down, may we continue to reflect on the miracle Christ child and what he means to all humanity. And may we echo what John the Baptist said so many years ago. He must become greater, and I must become less. May that be our purpose today and always. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing to us John the Baptist, who was prophesied himself so many years ago, there would, become, there would be one coming in the form of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, to point us to Jesus. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you, even in the midst of the Christmas craziness. Can we set that aside? May we really truly sing our praises to Christ our Lord. And may we, like John the Baptist, prepare our hearts, prepare the way for others to know you. Prepare the way of the Lord. That Jesus may increase and that we may decrease. In Jesus' name.